Amen. Good morning. All right, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. So we're transitioning from chapter 1 of Ruth to chapter 2 of Ruth. You can tell by our outline the theme of this chapter, especially our section, is, is favor. Uh, the word translated favor in Ruth is the Hebrew equivalent of the New Testament concept of grace. What is unmerited, what is undeserved, what is a merciful benevolence from someone who has to someone who does not have. Uh, and that's really the theme of our text this morning. And so that's why the title is The Grace of God and of His People. We'll see both on display. But if I could give a secondary title for this chapter, and this is going to be our secondary theme, it would be A Portrait of a Godly Man and a Godly Woman. A Portrait of a Godly Man and Woman. Because if we were to create a character sketch of what a godly man looks like, what a godly woman looks like, if you had that you know, proverbial picture in the dictionary of godly man, godly woman, it would probably be Ruth and Boaz. Um, this is it. The dictionary definition of a hero or a heroine, someone who is noted for courageous acts of nobility and of character, whose achievements regard them as a role model and an example. Noted for courageous acts of nobility and character, whose achievements regard them as a role model or ideal. The Bible presents true heroes, not the flashy heroes, uh, men in muscles and in, in, uh, tights and bright colors and all that stuff. But biblical heroes are ones whose character is commendable, who have a, 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 a private nobility, not just a public persona. Those who are not flashy, but who are faithful in the little things. Those who trust in the Lord and seek to honor him. Those are the ones worth emulating, and those are the ones we usually miss. But the Bible doesn't miss them. The Bible puts spotlights on them. These two insignificant people in this little insignificant town, right now, in an insignificant country with no king, no status. But we see them and we see the, the beauty of this chapter. The Bible's full of these. Noah and David are not to be admired because they built an ark and because they defeated a giant. They're to be admired because they trusted the Lord and they obeyed his call. And so in many ways, Ruth and Boaz are the ideal biblical femininity and masculinity because they trust the Lord. They obey him and they are upright in all their deeds. Um, this is so much so evidenced in uh, many of the, the Hebrew Old Testaments. Uh, our modern order is most likely not how the Jews would have read the order of the Old Testament books. Uh, in many of the Old Testament lists, Ruth actually follows directly after Proverbs. So the woman of Proverbs 31 in many Jewish traditions is illustrated and exampled by this book and this woman. She is seen as a living illustration to what it means to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And so we're going to draw on that in this sermon and through the rest of the book. So uh, here's we're going to go over the next two weeks in chapter 2. Chapter 2's story arc is this. Begins in the home, wherever they're, they're, they're living, 
Ruth and Naomi are at home. It makes their way to the field and then back to the home. But there's so much in between. The, uh, sur- the going back and forth from home to the field surrounds this interaction between Ruth. Ruth, it might happen again. Ruth and Boaz. Um, and then verse 13 is the literary and theological center. A woman who is seeking favor finds favor. And then there's a break in the day, the a midday meal. And then next week, we're going to look at the blessings that she finds from the favor, or blessings that she has from the favor that she's found. So that's where we are. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man from the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain and after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said to him, go, or to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep, your, keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Let's pray. Lord, be with us this morning at this time in your word that it would be pleasing to you and glorifying to you that we would see your glory and your grace, your loving kindness toward your people in this text, that we would find comfort in a God who cares for the daily affairs of the lowly, who providentially directs the lives of his people, who provides for them, who cares for them, who shelters them. Lord, would we find comfort and encouragement this morning that you are our shelter. You are our reward. There is no better place to be than under the shadow of the wings of the Lord of Israel. There is comfort, there is peace, there is protection. And we know through our Savior 
that those wings are also a mighty right hand and no one will snatch us out of them. Lord, I pray for any of those who are in our midst this morning or will hear the sound of my voice who reject you, who think that they can find shelter elsewhere, who think that they can find comfort in the world. Lord, would you show them the futility and the emptiness and the misery that is found apart from you. Lord, would your church be faithful and a place of refuge for those who are seeking shelter, that we would welcome them in as you have welcomed us in. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verse 22 of chapter 1 kind of ties in chapter 2. Looking back at the previous verse, they're returning to Bethlehem. And the timing here is important. The book of Ruth, uh, I'm tempted uh, to do like a 50-week sermon series in the book of Ruth because of all of the, the, the details within the Hebrew. There are no inconsequential details in the book of Ruth, uh, and we're only going to pick up on some of them. But one of them is the timing. They come back to Bethlehem in the, at the uh, barley harvest. Um, so let me help you know why that's important. This is one of the most celebratory times of the year. This is one of the biggest feasts and festivals in the life of Israel and even in the lives of Jews today. This is leading the, um, all of the uh, barley harvest is leading to the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Now that's important. Penta, the prefix meaning 50, that is 50 days from the day of first fruits when the harvest begins. You know when the day of first fruits was? It's the day after the final day of Passover. Um, so if you're curious about all of um, the timing of this, you can read Leviticus 23 or Deuteronomy 16. I won't get into all that. But there's a reason why I'm bringing all this up. Because traditionally, during this time, during the Feast of Weeks, still to this day, the Jews ritualistically read the book of Ruth. Now, why is that important? Why do I mention all of this? Because some of those things, those uh, dates, those feasts should bring to mind um, a, a gospel setting. You know what the day of first fruits was? The day after the last day of celebration being Saturday. It was the Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is the beginning of the barley harvest. Resurrection Sunday is the day of first fruits. And for 50 days, they are gathering wheat or, or, or barley. For 50 days, they are bringing all this in until it's done. And when all the barley comes in, they have a massive celebration on the Feast of Weeks, the day of Pentecost, because the harvest has come in. This entire story is set in a gospel setting. It is set the very same time our Lord resurrected from the dead and poured out his spirit on the church 2,000 years later that we're still looking back at. And so all of the, the foreshadowing that is, is pregnant in this, in this imagery, they miss. But I don't want us to miss. There is a hopefulness here. There's an excitement here. 
there is a, there is a celebration that God, has, God is bringing in a harvest. And that parallels uh, Ruth and Naomi's journey back to Israel. So I want to set that out before we get into our text. So verse number one. Um, so verse number one kind of acts parenthetically, um, meaning there's like, it's like a bracketed parentheses around it. So we've been following Ruth and Naomi, and then all of a sudden there's this, this new character. So now, um, just in case you were, you were wondering, there's, there's this, this guy. And then they're going to go right back in verse 2 to talk about Ruth the Moabite. So the uh, details in verse 1 give him a lot of promise and a lot of anticipation. And they set him against the woman. Um, this is like the uh, plot of every Hallmark movie, because they only have one plot. Because the movie always begins with a woman who has a problem. This young, divorced, single mother uh, who moves to a small town, doesn't have a job, doesn't know how she's going to pay her bills. Any of this sounding familiar? And then they, they, they cut across the, the, the street to the uh, handsome single guy, the most eligible bachelor in town, you know, who, uh, who has a successful business. And they, they kind of go back and forth between her life and his life. That's not new. Hallmark didn't create that. That, that drama, that, uh, that, that, that buildup is built into Ruth. So now Naomi had a relative of her husband. Again, there are no inconsequential details. Why is that important? Because the family lineage, the family name went through the husband. We remember what family they're from. We talked about this earlier. They're from the tribe of Judah. They're Bethlehemites. And so this is also foreshadowing. That if there's going to be a king in Judah, he mu- the line must go from husband to husband, from father to son. So that's important. Worthy man, I'll get there in a moment, he's from the very clan of her husband. He is as close as he possibly can to her husband's side of the family. Why is that important? Because if you're going to have a kinsman redeemer, he must be the closest one in line. This is all setting this up. There is, you know, remember last week, Naomi did not have any hope. Naomi was this, this uh, bitter, myopic woman. God has dealt bitterly with me. She may not have hope, but this text has so much hope. And then the third character is he is a worthy man. This is an important word. We spent a lot of time talking about this word in Proverbs. Chayel. It means excellent. It means worthy. It means noble. Remember I told you there's a lot of uh, carryover from Proverbs 31? Proverbs 31 we can keep our uh, finger there. We're going to look at a couple things in Proverbs 31. But Proverbs 31 begins with a phrase. An excellent wife, or excuse me, Proverbs 31.10, uh, where, where, where the woman is. An excellent wife, same word here. Boaz is described as an excellent man. When this is applied to a woman, it is a woman with noble character, who is honorable, who is loyal, who is helpful. When this is applied to a man, it is a man who is strong, who is capable, who is mighty, and who is worthy. They are setting it up in the text that the excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Now we have an excellent man who is introduced into the story. 
An excellent man must have an excellent wife. So this is, this is built into the Hebrew language of the story. But for now, keep your finger in Proverbs 31, for now she's an unlikely match. How do we know she's an unlikely match? You've got Boaz. He's a relative. He's a worthy man. He's from the same clan. And verse 2 begins with Ruth the Moabite. If you were here last week, Ruth the ham sandwich. Ian Duguid says she's as welcome as a ham sandwich in a bar mitzvah when she gets back to Bethlehem. And this is true. She is introduced as the Moabite. She is the most unlikely helper and compliment to him right now. But her character begins to unfold. One of the things you're going to see in this chapter, you're going to see all of these godly examples. How he is a godly example, as a, as a godly man for us. And how she is an example of a godly woman for us. The, her character details begin here. She may be a Moabite, but look at the very next thing. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Notice, Naomi doesn't go. Naomi's too bitter. She's sitting home complaining. She is wallowing in her distress. She has forgotten God's goodness. But Ruth takes initiative. Ruth still has respect for her mother-in-law, says, let me go. I'll get food for both of us. Now let's go back to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, pick up in verse 13. Notice the, the, the hard work and, and effort and initiative of her. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. We'll see that in a moment. She got to the field bright and early, and she is bringing portions back for Naomi. Uh, skip down a little bit more. This isn't on the screen, but this is bonus points for you people who are in your Bibles, as you should be. Verse 29. Many women have done excellently. Same root word here, chayel. But you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Imagine reading in your, your Hebrew Bible and finishing with those words from Proverbs 31. And the next page you pick up, the next unrolling of the scroll is this woman Ruth. And you begin to see these details jump off the page. So we're going to have many lessons along the way of godly manhood and womanhood. But here's a beautiful example of godly womanhood. She wakes up every day. She wakes up early, and she doesn't know the outcome, but she trusts God's goodness. She takes initiative. She goes to work. Her husband may not notice. Your husband may not notice. Your kids may not notice, but she knows that the Lord notices. She knows that the Lord sees her hard work. She knows that the Lord sees her faithfulness, and she trusts. This God that I have heard about my, my whole life, this God that I have chosen over the gods of Moab, Surely he will provide for me. Surely he will care for me. And so she goes off. She takes the initiative and she sets out to glean among the ears of grain. So she's asking here. Uh, and, and so gleaning was not regular weep, uh, reaping. Um, 
in the law, there was a, uh, a, a provision for a living. The, 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 the harvest was, was ripe, and there had been plenty of men and women working in the fields, gathering all the grain, gathering all the, all the barley. But there was a provision uh, built right into the Feast of Weeks. Uh, this is the only thing we'll look at in Leviticus 23, 22. Right after the explanation of the Feast of Weeks and everything that would go on, notice what's here in the law. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So the gleanings are whatever the, the, the workers would, would miss or whatever would fall to the ground. You left it there. Why? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So this is built into the feast. This is God's um, welfare provision, his uh, pity on the poor. This is built into the fabric of their worship. We're not greedy. We don't take everything and we leave enough for the poor. And if you remember when you, you were here when we studied through Deuteronomy, there are three classes who the Lord always takes exception for, who always sets aside for special provision. It was the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. She checked two out of three. And when she forsook her family, she became an orphan. Ruth is all three of these categories. And so this is designed for her. And as a side note, what a wise way to care for the poor, a godly way in that, in, in that society. That there's still dignity in work, that there's, that there's still effort that has to be put out, um, it's not just a handout, but it's a, it's a provision to the diligent. And so she shows herself to be diligent. Um, and we'll, we'll see that at the end of this section. So, uh, moving on. And so she's, she's looking for, for someone uh, where she can find favor. She knows she doesn't deserve any special treatment. She knows she needs, again, this is the equivalent of the word grace, she needs it. She has no standing of her own. And whenever you see in the scriptures in your eyes, in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of, of, the, of the king, this is recognizing that if anything is going to come to you, you must be before the sight of someone with, with power. You're looking for, a, uh, for favor for one from authority. So when, when she says that she is seeking favor, or excuse me, she is um, going to glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. It's essentially like a peasant seeking to catch the merciful eye of the king. If I can just get in the king's throne room, if I can just get him to see how sincere I am, how pitiful I am, maybe he will take mercy on me. Let me, let me put myself in, in the right place to find help. This is, is that idea. And she goes out in faith that it will be granted to her. So as she goes out, verse 3, she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. In case you forgot, remember, here's the guy flashing lights, hint, hint. He's from her husband's family. But there's a little detail here that I found fascinating. She happened to come. This is emphasized in, in the Hebrew. So in the Hebrew, this is literally her chance chanced upon the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. This is the greatest strike of dumb luck ever because it's so precise. 
or it's perfectly divine direction. You decide. Because in the former, you'd have to say she randomly stumbles upon the field of an honorable man who just happens to be an eligible bachelor and the most ideal kinsman redeemer in Bethlehem. Just saying. Um, I love the uh, Puritan John Flavel said that the providence of God is like a Hebrew word. It must be, it can only be read backwards. So if you're studying Hebrew, it is uh, from right to left, not left to right. And so we can only see the providence of God when we look back. She didn't see it at the time. She just shows up. She finds a field. This one looks as good as any other one. But the providence of God is seen so clearly that her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz. I love that Ruth is a woman of radical faith and faithfulness. She chose Yahweh, the almighty God of Israel. And she chose his people instead of all the comforts and gods of Moab. She trusted that God was would provide, and she was not afraid of hard work. And she was betting on God's goodness. Remember what she told Naomi. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more so also, if anything but death parts me from you. Made me think of uh, the connection to another patriarch, or a patriarch, who leaves his family behind, doesn't know what's, what's going to happen. God calls out of a pagan land. Sound familiar? Genesis 12, where the Lord calls Abraham out of the polytheism and the uh, pagan worship of his people. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where he's get, what will happen. But there is a promise that if you leave your people and your gods for me, I will bless you. I will prosper you. Here's what the Lord said to Abram. Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told them, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he departed from Haran, uh, and he took his wife, Sarah. So, like the call from Abraham who responded in faith, Ruth leaves everything behind, responds in, in faith, and so she becomes Abraham's daughter by faith. Um, the promises to Abraham the patriarch are the promises to everyone who will respond in faith. I want to look at Romans 4. And see how she exemplifies this and how we see her, her gracious action because of the grace she's been given and shown by God. Genesis 4, 16. Genesis. Romans. Whoever said Romans, thank you. Uh, big difference. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now the offspring here is going to be defined. Not only the adherent of the law, not only the Jew, but also he who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. You are an offspring of Abraham through faith. Even if you were not born under the law. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. 
in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Ruth is a nobody. She does not exist in history. She doesn't come to the living God. No one would ever know her name. She would die, be buried, and be forgotten. Yet he brought into her into a great existence. I want to skip down to verse 23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Because she had faith in the true and living God, she has faith in Christ. Her belief was counted to her as righteousness. And because of her belief belief in the promises of God, she is an offspring of Abraham. And brothers and sisters, we are from the same lineage. We may not be from the clan of Elimelech. But we are seeds of Abraham through faith. We are brought into the family of Christ and we like Ruth, this, this beautiful example, we can happily work for God. We can happily get up early. We can happily labor because we are so grateful. We are so gracious. For those of us who believe, our works follow. How could we not? Because the source of our faith is the God who raised Jesus up from the dead, who delivered him up for our trespasses and raised him up for our justification. She didn't know all that theology. She only knew the promises of a good God who cared for his people. And by that faith, it was accounted to her as righteousness. And so she was a diligent worker because of the grace of God. And she was just happy to be in the land of Israel among the God of Israel and the people of Israel. Here's how Paul responds to his work ethic from the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Ruth is not a hero because she's a hard worker. Ruth is a hero because she's a hard worker because of the grace of God. And Boaz is going to pick up on that in a minute because he's wise. All right, let's jump into our next section. So we laid a lot of ground rules or a, little, a lot of groundwork, and uh, let's move into verse 4 in our second section, which we'll move through a little more quickly. Now, here it is. Here's the big reveal. This is, this is emphasized in Hebrews. And behold, Boaz, da-da-da-da, here he is. The guy we told you about earlier, okay, we, we're, we're kind of building Ruth's character. Now, here's the hero of the story. Boaz comes in. Here's his grand entrance. And how does he begin He came from Bethlehem, goes into the fields, and he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. His first words are a benediction. Our greetings are so weak. What's up? He just just walks in and and presents the Lord's blessing to his workers. And they they love him. And And they respond with, the Lord bless you. This is what godly men do. They build up everyone they come into contact with. 
They seek the Lord's blessing and favor for those in their care. Any of us ever had a boss like this? What would you do if, if, if your boss walked in? Say, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. You might fall out of your chair if you work in a cubicle. You might drop whatever you're doing if you work in a restaurant. But imagine working for a man like that who comes and blesses you in the Lord. Of course, uh, he's going to have thankful workers. Here's the other thing we notice about Boaz, verse 5. And Boaz said to the young man who's in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now remember, this is the busiest time of year. All his workers are out. Everyone's in the field working, and he notices the one woman who does not belong. You know what I love about Boaz? Boaz is a heads-up guy. Let me tell you what that means. Men, we ought to be heads-up guys. Most of you are so concerned with my next step and what's going on right here and, and, and my life that you never pick your head up to notice what's going on around you. This is a good protector. This is a good provider. This is a good leader. He notices. He knows his field. He knows his workers. He knows who belongs there and who doesn't. Something's out of place. He says, hey, what's that? He, he's a heads-up guy. And he looks and he asks, who does she belong to? Because it's clear she's not one of his, his workers. He's assuming he, she is someone's servant. And then the response. She still doesn't have, outside of Naomi, she doesn't have a name yet. She is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi with the country of Moab. This is Naomi's ham sandwich. This is all she's known as, the, the, the Moabite girl. That's it. She's still the same foreigner. But then her reputation begets, gets to be unfolded here. Verse 7. She said, recounting what happened that morning, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from the early morning until now, except for a short rest. I just have, I have four character traits of Ruth that we notice here. These godly examples to be followed. Number one, please. She is humble. She is polite. Please let me glean. She's not afraid to ask for what she wants. Those two things do work together. You can be humble, polite, and be direct and ask for what you want. Number two, she says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She knows the law. She knows the word of God. She does not presume more than what she is owed. She has followed the law, or she, she is desiring to follow the law. And she takes the, the, the least, the last, the leftovers. She doesn't put herself in a high place. She puts herself in a low place. And so they allow her, and she continued from early morning until now. This is a diligent Proverbs 31 woman. She is not lazy. So number one, she's humble, yet she's not shy. Number two, she knows the word of God. She does not presume. Number three, she's diligent, she's hardworking. And then number four, I love this, except for a short rest. She may be a heroine, but she is not, but, but she's human. She, she's got to rest. It's a, a beautiful picture of a real woman who sets a real example and makes a real impression. And so here, that's why she is curried favor. Um, it just worked with the outline. Uh, 
if you haven't heard the, uh, the, the, the phrase before, it's someone who ingratiates themselves to someone else. By the way that you carry yourself, usually in humility, in a servantile posture, you make someone else want to give you grace and, and favor because of your, your character. She has curried favor with him. And so, now the dialogue begins, verse 8. And this dialogue is filled with grace and respect and beauty, this back and forth between Boaz and Ruth. First of all, Boaz says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Up till now, Naomi's the only one to call her my daughter. Right away, he, he shows his intimacy, his compassion, his responsibility for her. He immediately takes an ownership stance, my daughter. He is saying to her, I will care for you. I will, I will provide for you. This is endearing and, and, and loving because of her character. And with intentional instruction, he, he pays great attention to detail. Now, as we go through the details of verses 8 and 9, we're going to think, well, this sounds pretty normal. You know, OSHA came up with these, these standards like this. This is something that everyone should expect in a workplace. But to those readers, he goes way above, above and beyond the law. She should not expect all of the favor that he gives her. Let's just look at some of these, these details here. Now listen, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep, a close, but keep close to my young women. This keep close here, it's the same verb for cling, the way she clung to Naomi earlier. So why is this important? Because typically, you're going to go to whatever seems like the best spot. And you're going to kind of bounce back and forth. But if you're a woman on a field, um, you're not guaranteed the best spots. You're going to be slower. You're going to be pushed aside by, by, the, uh, by the men. But he says, I have workers out there. You stick with, with my workers. You'll get what they get. You'll get the, the uh, best part of the field. Um. And then he says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Not much has changed on, on job sites. Even in those days, women did not have an idea of, of being protected or uh, cared for. Now, we don't know if, this, if these would be like, sexual advances, or just them pushing her out of the way because she's a, a no-one widow. But he has gone as far as to instruct his men, don't touch her. You let her get whatever she wants. She works with, with my women. Right away, he's given her all of this, this favor. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Drawing water was a woman's job, typically. Do you remember Jesus with the woman at the well? He's out drawing, drawing water. The young men drew water for themselves. He said, you can, he said, you can drink from where my young men are drinking. You don't have to draw water with the other widows, with the other, with the other workers. He is giving her a place of honor right from the very beginning. And this is what a godly man does. He protects women. He provides for them as the weaker vessel. Godly men also... He knows the word of God, and his life is governed by it. He knows he should provide for the, the weak and the widow and the sojourner, 
not only does he obey the word of God, but he goes above and beyond. God provides grace in the law, but he gives even more grace to Ruth. And so then how does she respond? Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. She is overwhelmed. This is a, this is a picture of complete submission and trust. This is a recognition of his authority. This could even be considered worship because she is falling on her face. She is so overwhelmed. And again, in the Hebrew, this is emphasized. Why would you take notice of a stranger, me, who is a foreigner? She repeats the lowliness of her status. I am a stranger and a foreigner. And she's overwhelmed. This is the right response when you receive radical grace. Who am I? Who is the son of man that you'd be mindful of me? She has complete gratitude. And brothers and sisters, how about for us? How overwhelmed should we be that the God of Israel would show favor and mercy to us? When was the last time you fell on your face in gratitude? I know for me it's been far too long. Because if you are in Christ, you have found favor in someone far greater than Boaz. You have been, have been given the, the treatment of a servant and a son. And even more so for us. Because Ruth had done something to ingratiate him. She had a good reputation. She was a hard worker. Our God sent his son while we were yet sinners. But we were hostile enemies. We deserved nothing. He saw nothing good in us. He only saw the good in his son. This is why if you have encountered the grace of God, even if we don't physically fall on our face, every time we think of it, our hearts should bow down and worship in humble adoration and gratitude. Is our God showed his favor on us because we had less hope than Ruth in the land of Bethlehem. And so she says this, why would you take notice of me since I have a former, verse, verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, the way this is stated in the Hebrew, nothing was left out. Every detail, I know all of it. This man has his finger on the pulse of his town. And he exemplifies the Lord's great love for those who come to him. Those who come to him for help. He is gracious. He is generous. And, his repu and her reputation precedes her. But still she has no name. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and native land and came to a people that you did not know before. She has been loyal to Naomi and her family and her people. And her family is his family. Her people is his people. She shows herself to be a true disciple and recognizes. Remember, we, we looked at this in Matthew 10, or excuse me, Mark 10, um, the last couple weeks. I want to do it again. Because Ruth, again, it exemplifies so many Christian characteristics. Before following Christ, she was following Christ. 
She counted the cost. She left it all behind. Chapter 10 of Mark, verse 28. Peter began to say, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. The first are those who the message came to and they rejected him. But the last are those like, like Ruth, the lowly Gentile Moabite who gets welcomed in. Here's another picture of godly womanhood. She forsakes all else to follow Christ. She forsakes all else to be among the people of God. And godly men know how to recognize a godly woman. This is what he admires in her most. He doesn't talk about her beauty. He doesn't talk about her, her, her dress. He remembers Proverbs 31. That stuff fades. But a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. You can see his heart soften to her. And her, her confidence in her grows as we move on into verse 12. And the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What is done for the people of God in the sight of God is ultimately done for God. She cares for Naomi because she fears the Lord. And so her reward comes not from Naomi but from the Lord. And Boaz sees the spiritual significance. This is another sign of a godly man. He seeks God's glory and not his own. He recognizes God's good name and all things coming from God, not from him. He didn't say, I do these good things to you. Look what a great man I am. The Lord repay you. The Lord reward you. And then this beautiful imagery of the wings of refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is imagery that's all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. And this is important. Because it's a picture of a mother bird, an, an eagle. And eagles are... They are, they are vicious, uh, feasting animals. They are, they are carnivorous birds. They are strong. They are powerful. They are to be feared. But with their helpless chicks, they are gentle. This is a God who is, who, who is mighty. You do not want to be on the bad side of an eagle. But you definitely don't want to be on the bad side of a mother eagle when someone is coming into her nest. There is a shadow of refuge. These great big wings cover from any predator, anyone who would come to harm her little babies. It is a beautiful picture. Wings all throughout the scriptures are our power, our might, our majesty. When they created the Ark of the Covenant, when the living creatures in Revelation are flapping their, their, their wings, they are mighty, they are, they are majestic. They're not these useless decorative wings that we see on the Hallmark Channel. I'm just going to pick on them all day. It's not like these women who float in with, with, with halos and these useless wings are hanging behind them. These are wings of warriors. These are wings of strength and might and, and protection. Um, 
there's so many psalms we could look at, but I want to look at Psalm 63. Because I think it epitomizes this well. Psalm 63. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. All alone, no one else around him, has no hope. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary and beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And just picture Ruth praying and singing this as she's gleaning from the leftovers. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. This is also Christ's call to Israel in their rebellion as he pleads with them, Matthew 23, 37. This is how Christ describes himself. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to, you, sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. This was his cry for Israel, come under my wings. I will care for you, I will shelter you. I will let no one harm you. Even though they rejected him, brothers and sisters, do you know that this is the reality for us? Christ is our mother hen, and I don't mean that in a weird way, in a beautiful way. He he has gathered us in. There is safety. There is refuge. And God, in an amazing way, he, he cares for his people. He gives them refuge in supernatural ways, but in very natural ways, like providing Boaz, like providing loving brothers and sisters, like providing within the church. Do we see our God like this? I just want to just stop for a moment. Is this how you see your God? Do you know that you can take refuge under his wing? Do you know that he is a place of refuge? Imagine what that, imagine you're you're that little chick in the nest for a moment. There's a storm outside. Lightning and thunder and rain is, is, is coming down. But you are covered by your mother's wings. You feel nothing but warmth and security and comfort. This is the promise of the gospel. This is what we have in Christ. And Boaz recognizes that is the most admirable thing that this young woman can do. She knows where true comfort lies. She knows that when no one else is watching, no one else cares, God sees and God cares and God rewards. And brothers and sisters, by faith, we are sheltered, we are saved, and we are blessed. And we have true refuge. I think many of us forget that. When life gets difficult and our circumstances seem impossible, we look all around us. How is this going to work? How is this going to happen? We forget who our God is. We forget that simple, beautiful picture of a mother eagle with her chicks under her wings. 
And this is why Naomi responds the way that she does in verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight. This is a godly woman. I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. Remember we read from 1 Peter 3 earlier? Let's go back. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. See how this parallels Ruth as our example. 1 Peter 3, 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Notice, there is not one detail so far of Ruth's appearance, not one. We don't know what she looks like. We don't know what she, she, she wears. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is God, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Look back at these examples. By submitting to their own husbands. Sarah is not often used as an example, but Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. The same thing that, that, that Ruth is doing. This sounds weird to our modern eyes. But it is a sign of, of, of respect. Um, when, when I preached through First, first Peter, uh, I remember preaching through this, this text and you know, describing those like uh, English TV shows where the, the uh, high aristocrat family walks in and my lord and my lady and they do that back and forth and uh, instructed married couples to do this. I remember this couple sat right there and she's like, I am not calling him lord. Like, like she did not want to say that. As we're opening up the scriptures, and this is what God commends, our flesh fights against us. Ruth has no pride. She has no hubris. I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. And Peter goes on to say, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Think about Sarah, how much of a terrible example she was. She's like the opposite of Ruth. Don't do anything Sarah did. But even in, in all of her uh, unfaithful, disobedient actions by submitting to her husband, by following him, the man who's following the Lord, he's in the hall of faith. And you are a daughter of, of Sarah. You can be that screwed up and still find commendation in the Lord. But Ruth says, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me. She was fully expecting a life of hard work. She was not afraid of it. She signed up for it. She got up early. And this is the reality. Our, our, our culture does not want to hear this, but God has designed women to seek comfort, to desire comfort. And God has designed men to provide it. And so Boaz cares for her physical needs, but he cares for her emotional needs too. This is, uh, you don't really get this in the English, but she says, for you have comforted me, and have spoken kindly to your servant. This is literally, you have spoken from the heart. I see your love and your compassion. And this is how Boaz does it. This is how Boaz provides comfort. He speaks from his heart. He speaks lovingly. He speaks kindly. This honorable, rich man does not lord his status and his strength over her. But he speaks in a way that will comfort her. And in her final statement of her lowly state, you have spoken kindly 
I am presenting me as your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. You don't owe me anything. I am less than one of your servants. She is humble. She submits herself to him. She has no expectation for grace or favor. But when she finds it, she places herself in the lowliest place. And then he cares for his servants. And even though he owes her nothing, he treats her like one of his own. And out of the kindness of his heart, he provides for her. And in this, Boaz is a godly example. In this, Boaz is to be exemplified because he exemplifies the grace of God. He richly gives, he kindly cares for those who he owes nothing. He doesn't have any obligation to Ruth, but he loves her and he cares for her and he takes her in. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. He is a gracious God who takes in sojourner. If we were realistic, we would be content with the little bit that was left over in the corner. He says, no, take from the best. How could any one of us presume upon the God of the universe that he should show us grace? I think so many people, I talk to people who think that God owes them something because of all their good deeds. You don't understand God and you don't understand yourself. If you knew how good and great and powerful and mighty and rich he was, you would throw yourself on, on your face and beg for mercy. We have no more right to the kingdom of God than Ruth had to the right for an inheritance in Israel. But these scriptures are here for a reason. It shows us God is gracious and God is generous and God is patient and he is kind. And he goes beyond generosity for the lowly. Because when we read this, we're not the heroes of the story. We are the lowly. We are the orphans. We are the widows. We are the sojourners. And when you recognize your own poverty... When you have emptied yourself like Ruth has, then you have arrived. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So finally, in closing here, we have found favor, brothers and sisters. The gospel should jump off the page to us. We are the people of grace. Like Ruth, we are no longer defined by the people in places of our past. Whether it be Moab, Asia, Africa, America, it doesn't matter. Because when we come into the field of our king, we are now his servants. We are now his, his uh, citizens. And our king is gracious and our king is good. Um, one last observation that I didn't bring up earlier and I left it to the end. Remember last week we spent all the time about the repeated verb, to turn, return. Everything last week was about this turning, this repenting from Moab to uh, Bethlehem. But in this one, you may have noticed the repeated verb throughout the chapter is one of gleaning. Those who return, those who turn back from the ways of the world, those who turn to the God of Israel, to the house of bread, to the bread of life, they will glean. They will reap. They will take the benefit of the harvest of the land. Those from every nation who turn to the Lord will glean in his harvest. And our God is so gracious, we should be happy with crumbs and leftovers. Like the Canaanite woman 
in Matthew 15. This is our last passage, and then we're getting ready to approach the table. I want you to have this, this lasting imagery as we get ready to approach the table. Matthew 15, 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Her beautiful posture, recognizing who he was. So much in here. I'm not, I'm not going no, to exegete this. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out, for, out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, those who were, those who were near, those who were under the law. But she came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That is a picture of gospel recognition. I don't deserve to be at your table. I don't deserve to eat what the reapers pick. I don't deserve to get the the, the first fruits. I'll be happy with the crumbs under your table. I'll be happy with, with, with your leftovers. That's what we deserve. That should be our posture. O son of David, have mercy on me. But he says, no, get up, sit at my table, eat the best, have an inheritance with me. We have no right, we have no inheritance. But when we approach this table, we remember that we've been given the bread of life. We have been given a seat at the table. We have been given grace. This is a table of grace. This is a table that is marked by the favor of the Lord. Those who have received his favor... Those who have received his grace because they believe on his son, because they know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. This is their table. This is our table. And so, brothers and sisters, I'll give you a few moments to prepare your, your minds and hearts for this, this table. And with that reminder, this is a table for the body of Christ. Deacons, you can get ready and get to your stations. And so, if you know the grace of God, if you have received forgiveness, if you have received the favor of God that you do not deserve, and in your heart you fall on your face in gratitude, this is your table. But don't you dare take it presumptuously. Don't you dare presume that God owes you something and that you must take this, that it is your right. It is a privilege that is reserved for his sons. This is a table of sonship and it is a table of gracious joy because we have found the shadow of his wings.